there were some really basic navigation and functionality uh, issues that I wouldn't have spotted because I'm not in that seat. I was a bit too close to the design process. So I think uh, good to get a bit of objectivity, but also recognize that you're probably not the best person to grade your own homework. Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you telling you how to grow your career. You can reserve yourself a copy at this URL. So get your pens out. It's bit.ly, so B-I-T L-Y forward slash make it in marketing. So that's bit.ly, B-I-T L-Y forward slash make it in marketing. But the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters. So bit.ly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase. I think you should get your heads around that. And enjoy. It's a great read. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a podcast about the future of marketing. Each week I get to interview someone senior and exciting about their vision for where it's all going to go next. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Daniel Peach, who is head of digital acceleration programs, Amir go-to-market strategy at Google. Daniel, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give us a bit of background? So I work, uh, as Tom said, at Google. Uh, my I run a bunch of uh, sales programs that are focused on maturity and digital marketing. Before that, I was in business school uh, at Oxford. So Oxford Said got an MBA. Um, before that, a completely different industry. I was in consulting. Uh, interestingly, aerospace and defense consulting with a mix of defense contractors and then the US military. Uh, and then before that, completely different industry again, uh, audits, uh, where I did a lot of work on transactions. So mergers and acquisitions, bankruptcies, uh, all the fun stuff. Um, and I went to University of South Carolina for undergrad, uh, where I studied international business and accounting. And I'm from Orlando, Florida, originally. Right. So trick question, what unites all of those things apart from your physical form? They sound like very disparate types of careers and choices. How does that all squish together? I'd say about two to five years, I hit a point where I said, do I still like this? And uh, in both cases, the answer was no. So moved on. And that uh, that works for places too. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Orlando. So the first question I have for you is, you are working for Google and you work in a sales function. There's going to be lots of plates to spin there, lots of opportunity. So you're going to have a lot to deal with. How do you cope with overwhelm? Yeah, it's a good question. I feel I felt overwhelmed at the end of the year in particular. I think everybody did. Um, and I found myself falling into habits. And it wasn't until maybe January that I looked back and thought, oh, actually, that worked. Um, so what I do is I essentially force stop my brain. Um, I read recently somebody at Amazon does something similar where they use Samba as a way to completely disengage because Samba is about uh, using your body versus your mind. Um, I wish I was that advanced or maybe uh, that thoughtful. I use reality TV, um, to be honest. Uh, it's familiar, I think, American voices. I'm, you know, I'm American and so it's, uh, it's comfortable uh, and I don't really have to think. 
Um, so it forces my mind to stop processing. Um, but I'm also not engaged with content and sometimes I don't even watch the TV. So something about the noise, maybe a version of white noise, uh, that works. And occasionally I do some grunt work. Um, so slide updates, uh, data analysis, those are the kind of things that I think are almost like comfort food for me because I've done them for so many years, uh, that I can do them without really thinking that much. So that's what's uh, helped in the past few months. I think it helped reset. So if your boss is listening to this, are you admitting that you watch reality TV during the day when you get a bit of stress? My boss actually watches reality TV, so I'm in good company. <laughs> a lot of chat about Love Island. Brilliant, sanctioned use of uh, reality TV. And yes, Samba, I've not, that's the first mention of Samba on this podcast. I'm fairly, fairly confident. So what is your top marketing tip? What's that golden nugget of marketing advice that you find yourself sharing most often? Yeah, I came to marketing late. Um, you know, audit and consulting are quite different beasts. And so I, I had to do a bit of learning. And I think the best one was you are not your audience, uh, which really resonated uh, for somebody that hadn't really thought about the audience much before. Um, but I think there's a through line across industries. So for instance, if you are presenting to senior leadership, uh, your audience is not you, you have to boil down details and make it really actionable and kind of punchy. Um, whereas if you're building a product or a service for somebody, uh, you very often are not the user of that product or service. So, uh, one example I built, I helped, uh, build a tool called grow my store, uh, something on Google basically scrapes websites and provides uh, recommendations. And I realized when we were doing user experience testing that there were some really basic navigation and functionality uh, issues that I wouldn't have spotted because I am not in that seat. I was a bit too close to the design process. So I think uh, good to get a bit of objectivity, but also recognize that you're probably not the best person to grade your own homework. So how do you make that possible and it's advice that we've had some similar versions of that on the on the podcast and it makes total sense you know there's no marketer out there is going to be like no you should just completely ignore your audience like it, it doesn't really need explaining but why does it happen so infrequently what, and what tools and techniques do you suggest that people could use to make sure that the the audience is front and center and not your whims yeah i think uh i tend to socialize ideas a lot before i actually start working on them. Um, so we build in, it's kind of a common thing at Google, but also elsewhere of building in two to three weeks of just refining an idea. And I tend to go to somebody that has zero touch with it or very low touch um, to just get a basically ripped to shreds in a good way. Um, I do this personally, by the way, too. So I, I realized my closest friends work in completely different industries. And the only thing we have in common is that we're friends. And in some cases, we went to business school together. But I think it's good if there's a bit of group thing that tends to happen when you are working with the same people over time. So it's something about curating your network uh, in a way that's more balanced uh, and, and maybe has some objectivity. So you go to people infrequently and maybe vary the people that you go to over time. Mm -hmm. 
This episode of the Shiny New Object Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So we're going to move on now to your shiny new object, which is pride washing in marketing. So I think that's fairly self-evident what that is, but what does pride washing in marketing mean to you and why is it your shiny new object? Yeah, pride washing isn't, sadly, it's not new, but I think it's it's so pervasive that it's, you know, it's something that's top of mind for the LGBT community. And I guess me personally, I always feel a bit uh, exploited in marketing that's not good. Um, so you see a lot of examples during Pride Month. Um, there's there's sort of performative marketing where companies will post a, a Pride-themed logo and um, it doesn't harm us. It also doesn't help us, to be honest. It's it's just sort of, um, it's social media activism. Um, but there are actual advertisements or products or partnerships that companies will run uh, with, you know, during Pride Month especially, and that's usually some, sometime around June. Uh, that feels like we are a demo and they are lowering the, the quality of advertising uh, to try to, you know, get what's called, I think, the pink dollar, um, which also is a bit of a strange term, but um, try to market directly to the LGBT community. It's kind of subpar, and that's what that's what bothers me personally about it. Can you give me some examples? Sure. So uh, Disney came up recently, and Disney's one where you would think, you know, very kind of um, uh, positive brand image, uh, you know, they have gay days uh, with, at some of their theme parks, which is, uh, you know, full full takeover of the theme park by uh, the gay community or lesbian community. And so they outwardly cater to the LGBT community um, in advertising and in services. But then they turn around and uh, in Florida, my home state, they supported politicians that uh, that voted for anti-LGBT legislation, this don't say gay bill. And it was the the disparity between what they were saying in marketing channels and what they were doing in lobbying that felt like uh, they were they were sending mixed messages and actively harming us while also trying to make money off of us. Um, lots of other ads examples too I can go through if that's useful. Yeah, it's, it's really good to help think about some specific examples and any, any from the UK. Yeah, so... Uh, Interestingly, on product side, uh, a really bad example, uh, Marks and Spencer uh, during Pride Month put together a what's called an LGBT sandwich. And by that, they mean lettuce, guacamole, bacon, and tomato. Just really, really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've done that's, yeah, that's, and yeah, how did that go down? Not well, as you can imagine, they, they advertised it and they were universally panned and probably dragged on Twitter. Oh dear. Okay. So that, so yeah, we, we've got a, so you've talked like big picture, 
politics and then product and then you're talking about badging can you show me another example of what like you think really represents the worst in this pride washing oh yeah so deutsche bahn which is the the train line uh, national train line of germany or the company that's maybe an equivalent of um liner or something in the uk uh they put together an ad which featured um conductors walking down the aisle in high heels could be good but also uh with a kind of in a with a bit of levity and almost making fun of that person. Um, there was there was queer trauma involved where everybody was crying and sad. And then there were a lot of uh, rainbow logos. So all of these things just mixed together to almost make fun of the LGBT community in a moment where we were meant to be celebrating. Um, and another thing is everybody there was white, which is a common issue in, the, uh, in advertising in general is a lack of representation and intersectionality so very one note i'd say so who gets it right yeah we've had a few good examples actually quite a few good examples recently um etsy uh the company you know that sells kind of uh crafts and, and homeware uh online they put together this ad a few years ago i don't even think it was during pride month to be honest which is also a good thing um it was a a uh, black gay couple going home uh, to one of the couple's families. And uh, the campaign was called Gift Like You Mean It. And it was all about meeting the family and getting a gift from that family to show that they were, that that partner was welcomed in the home. Um, it felt very, it was a great commercial in general. I loved it. Um, but equally, it was subtle. It wasn't, it didn't feel too directive and there was a narrative that made sense for the company. So it wasn't something that was too disjointed with the overall campaign theme or the message that the company was trying to push through. And you said something that stuck, that stuck out there that it didn't run during Pride Month. So how important is that? Yeah, I mean, I think from a, I mean, just being realistic from a marketing planning point of view, there are key moments, temple moments in every year. And Pride is one of them. Obviously, you know, Christmas is another one that comes up frequently, Easter, a few of these things. So Pride Month in the UK is uh, kind of June, July. I think that is a fair time if if companies want to advertise. Um, but it's nice and we and the queer community recognize when, uh, for instance, queer characters and advertisements or uh, products that are more geared to our community roll out outside of that period. We definitely take notice and it's it's a sign of goodwill, I'd say. You've given us some interesting examples of, of where it's gone wrong. And I assume there's good intentions behind those things. You know, maybe I'm too positive of a guy, but it, it, I'm sure there were good people involved in that trying to do the right thing, uh, but clearly gone horribly wrong. So if you could advise any business moving forward on how to get it right, what would be your kind of top three, top five, do this, don't do this? bits of advice. Yeah, I think you're right. It is always well-intentioned. Um, part of the challenge, I think, is that sometimes marketing teams may not have uh, you know, fair representation from the LGBT community on their team. So if that's the case, I think it's always good to involve uh, queer people in the process of design or, or ideation. Um, that could be charities if there's nobody in-house or if we feel kind of going back to the advice, uh, you are not your audience. If you want to understand your audience, you know, making sure that uh, if the LGBTQ community is part of the audience or is the audience, you you solicit them on the front end. Um, also good, as we said, to land it outside of Pride Month if you can. Um, we do appreciate it across the board. Um, 
but you know it's always nice to see it sometimes sometime out of uh, out of summer um the biggest thing in terms of content is making sure that you know advertisers are highlighting queer joy and not just queer trauma so what i mean by that is uh very often in advertising to um, two characters that have been torn apart you know they maybe were in a relationship one got married you know it's two lesbians one got married to a man in the case of a reno ad from a few years ago and they had to go through struggle and strife and then they finally got together in the last five seconds for the close of the advertisement um we had a focus group recently with uh, some Gen Zs who were overwhelmingly people of color and trans, non-binary, and gender diverse. And what they said was, what was the missing element was the the queer joy, um, is the excitement that we feel being, you know, uh, LG, part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so I think more of that is always helpful. And maybe one last tip is make sure if you are going to advertise that uh, your house is clean. So you're not uh, doing, you know, trying to market to the LGBT community on one side while also um, doing things that are undermining our civil rights on the other side. Yeah, I think you should put that on the poster somewhere. That's great, those four tips. So where's this going? Is there going to be a time when it's not even necessary? Will we see a Pride Month in years to come where there, where there is no uh, advertising focused on the community? Or is this something that should always be focused on by brands and help change the narrative for the betterment of society? It's a good question. I mean, the LGBT market, I mean, who knows really, but the start of the £6 billion pounds, uh, of purchasing power in the UK. So it's a big big community uh, and a big market. I wouldn't, I don't know if advertising will strictly go away, but I think what we would love in the long term is seeing, uh, you know, queer people, um, you know, embedded in, in general advertising that runs throughout the year in a way that feels intuitive and natural. Uh, a lot of brands have been doing that. You see, you see maybe um, a gay couple and their child uh, in you know, clothing advertisement, or you see, um, you know, you might see somebody that's trans featured in a wider campaign. Really, I think more native advertising is kind of what we're looking for in the long term. But pride is a good way to test messages and just learn over time of what works and doesn't for your company. So I'd like to understand a bit more about how you do intuitive and natural correctly because you had like four very distinct things that would be very easy not easy but they're unequivocal really whereas intuitive and natural that's pretty vague so can you help the audience understand what you mean by that and how that could be achieved sure we um i'll use another example so um oreo uh put together a commercial and i think this was a global commercial outside of Pride Month, um, but they did work with an LGBTQ charity to help cure, kind of uh, put the ad together. It told the story of a family coming together um, and wanting to enjoy Oreos, but it did it in a way where it was very clear that there were uh, two you know, gay daughters as part of the family. And the father kind of stepped forward and, and uh, in a way subtly you know, showed pride for his daughter. This was um, an advertisement that would have worked in any capacity, not just during Pride Month, but you could put it on in October and it would equally have the same value. It was an advertisement that they would have run in general, but it just happened to have queer characters. 
And I think the kind of um, embedding queer characters in those narrative storylines in um, in advertisements is what's I think helpful in the long term. So just making it a normal part of uh, of putting you know ads together versus trying to create something specific for the LGBT community that may only run you know a few times uh, during a month. So. What are you expecting to see this year from advertisers in this space? Do you think it's going to get a bit better? Is it going to slip a bit? What are your fears and hopes for the summer? I think we're trying to be a bit more proactive about guiding what best practices look like in advertising to the queer community. Um, so YouTube is is working on with uh, Albert Kennedy Trust, which is a charity in the UK, um, and an agency called Distillery on putting together basically brand guidelines. Uh, so both across advertising, um, this is the main focus there is video ads, um, but equally, uh, you know, product ideation, uh, you know, sponsorships. And the idea is really guiding the brands that we work with on a daily basis to, uh, to do this in a way we would say is maybe best practice. And this is going back to that focus group of Gen Zs um, who were over, you know, predominantly, um, you know, marginalized uh, groups. Those are the the audience that we listen to uh, for those to curate those best practices. So, it, you know, over time, we want to influence brands to think about this in a way that you know feels more. Um, I, I don't know, going back to more natural or something. But um, but I think the idea is it's probably a slow change. Uh, but the more people can be thoughtful um, about how they're putting together advertising for the queer community the better. And it's probably a, a slow change, but something that we want to uh, to help everyone get, you know, improve over time. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. So if someone wants to get in touch with you to talk about your day-to-day or bride washing and how not to do it, where would you like them to get in touch with you and what makes a great outreach message to you? Uh, I'd say LinkedIn and uh I always appreciate great copy, but honestly, just feel free to reach out and say, I heard you on the podcast and I will, I guarantee you, I will answer. Very happy to. Well, thank you for your time. As we came into this subject, I was like, I do not know as much about this as I should, but you've made what is a very emotive and important subject really simple to take action with as, as an agency supplier or a brand. So I really appreciate you sharing your time on that, Daniel. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast, or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.